it, it's, uh, anytime you do a child presentation, it's something um, that is special and something we want to do this morning because uh, one thing that we learn from Scripture is that uh, children are a gift from the Lord. Children are something that uh, we have uh, been given uh, by God and, and, uh, and we are trusted by God uh, to raise uh, our children in a way that would honor and glorify Him in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, uh, and this morning, God has blessed one of our families with a, uh, a new baby in their family, their second son, and uh, one that we want to pray for and present this morning. So I'm going to ask if Josiah and Daniela Sines would uh, make their way up to the platform. Uh, but let me just say that the Bible talks about family as not just a parent, uh, and a child, but uh, the, fam- uh, the Bible also includes grandparents when it talks about family. And, uh, and so I want to ask uh, if uh, Josiah's parents, uh, the signs can come up, huh? and yes, and the great-grandparents uh, as well of the baby, uh, but the uh, grandparents, so Daniela's parents, if they would be able to come up, and then uh, Josiah's uh, parents and his, his grandparents are here as well. Josiah's grandparents and our great grandparents of the baby, if they would also get up, if you if and come up for the uh, um, presentation, and uh, you can stay down here. All right. Um, something that you find in the scriptures in Exodus, um, it says that God visits uh, the families, not just the first generation, but the second, third, and fourth generation. And God brings blessing uh, to a family up to the fourth generation. And, and this morning, we're, we're privileged to have one, two, three, and a fourth generation uh, up here represented. And, um, and let me just say, as we do this child presentation, that uh, through this presentation, it doesn't mean that the baby is saved. It doesn't make the baby a member of our church. In fact, a child presentation is really more for the parents than it is for the baby. It's, it's kind of like the first birthday party, right? The baby doesn't even know what's going on. The parents do that. Uh, the child presentation is kind of like that, but it's a lot more solemn. Uh, the, the presentation that we want to have this morning is a covenant that the parents are making, a covenant before us as witnesses, but more importantly, a covenant before God in how they're going to raise this baby. Uh, I want to read a passage in Deuteronomy chapter number six, because we get this idea from there. We see what God told the children of Israel as his people, as he was sharing with them what they were to do as families. And he said in Deuteronomy chapter six and verse number four, he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. God was giving them more than just a to-do list when he shared these words. He was trying to communicate to the people of Israel and to the families of Israel, this should be a lifestyle for you. As you raise your children, the lifestyle at home should be one that points to God. When you go to work and, and when you're 
children see you working in the yard or at your place of employment, they should see God at work. It's something of having God being the center of that family. And this morning, as we do a presentation of this child to God, we also make a covenant as parents to God on how we're going to raise them, that we are going to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that Josiah and Daniela will talk of the Lord when they are in their house and when they're walking by, and they are going to leave the idea of following God as what leads their life and what they teach uh, Aiden to do in his life. And so this morning, I do want to ask before uh, us as witnesses, ask Josiah and Daniela, do you so promise to raise and teach Aiden in the fear of the Lord and in the admonition of the Lord and teach him God's word as he grows up? Praise the Lord for that. And us as witnesses, let me say, we're not here just to hear them and then condemn them when they mess up. We're called to be a help and a blessing to one another. And as parents and grandparents that are here and great-grandparents as well, part of the blessing of being a family is being able to help Josiah and Daniela with counsel, uh, help them in times of need uh, with Aiden, and uh, be one that is there to support them in this endeavor and in this decision. And, and by them standing up here, they represent a supporting decision. A, a, they represent a counsel. They represent uh, people that will help in this decision that Josiah and Daniela are making. Now, normally we love uh, to pray with the babies. I love praying with them in my hands. I don't know if Aiden's going to let me carry him. We will try. Uh, and if he, if he does, great. If he don't, it's okay. Oh, he's got some brothers. That's all right. Uh, and so far, so good. All right. Let's go ahead and pray uh, for both just Josiah and Daniela as parents and for this baby as well as we dedicate him to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this day. Uh, Father, it's for this moment that Josiah and Daniela prayed for. As they prayed for an inheritance, as they prayed for their family to grow. They were praying for a child, and you have answered that prayer. We thank you for Aiden. We thank you for what his life represents and who he is, the uniqueness of his creation and his family. Father, I pray that you would be with Aiden as he grows up, as he hears the teaching of your word. I pray that his heart would always be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, that he would hear with understanding and with understanding that he would obey and follow you. Oh, Father, I pray that you bless him. I pray that you put a hedge of protection around him, that you would always provide for him, and that the promises of your word would make him secure in you. And then, Father, I pray for Josiah and Daniela as they teach him your truth. Oh, I pray that you give them wisdom in the different circumstances of life that they will face as parents. Oh, I pray that you give them wisdom in what they teach and in wisdom and how they conduct themselves. I pray that they would always be spirit-filled in what they do as a family. I pray that they would always give the right example and lead in every way that they can as they make God the center of their family and their home. Father, I pray for Aiden's grandparents and great-grandparents. May they be a blessing in teaching him the truth of your word. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.
Well, before, uh, as the uh, worship team comes on up, I do want to just give a few announcements. I'm going to ask if you would, you can stand to your feet in preparation of what we're going to be uh, singing and, and following in the service. But I do just want to give a few announcements. Um, on the 26th of this month, we have our ladies' meeting, and every lady's invited. 26th uh, is a Saturday at 11 a.m., or is it 11.30? I'm sorry. 11, okay. 11 a.m., and... Uh, it is 11.30. Okay, now I'm getting really confused up here. Yeah, yeah. So on the 26th, February 26th, we have uh, that going on. And so ladies, just make plans. It's always fun. There's free food, a lot of fellowship, and there's always a challenge from the Word of God. And I know they're, they're starting a brand new study uh, for this year that's going to be special. Uh, there's a book with it as, as you are going to be studying more of God's Word. Uh, and I know it's going to be such a blessing and a help. Uh, to you as, as wives, as moms, uh, and as ladies of the church. And so I want to invite you on the 26th, uh, which is uh, the, in two weeks, that Saturday, 11, uh, 30, uh, make plans to be there. And then um, a couple changes to keep in mind as we get into the month of March. Uh, 11.30 is going to be our new start time. And you say, isn't that our regular start time? It is, actually. <laughs> okay, so uh, it, the, the tracks and our, um, our publications say 11, so that we start at 11.30. Uh, but now we're going to change it to 11.30 and still try to start at 11.30. It's unheard of in the valley, I know, but we're going to change the culture, okay? So um, that's going to be starting in March, and we'll be changing the evening uh, service. We're actually going to have uh, some connection groups that we're going to be uh, having together as, as an English service. So that's going to start in March at 5 o'clock in the evening. We'll have connection groups, and it's going to be a way in which we can, uh, you know, create a community, know one another, love one another, encourage one another, and that's going to st uh, happen in March, and I'm very excited about it, and I hope you get really excited about it. It's going to be a really, really fun change, something a little bit different than we've done before, but something I know is going to be a blessing. And then two more announcements that I want to just share. Uh, our Wednesday night service. We're gonna we're gonna be starting this Wednesday, making our Wednesday night service completely a prayer service. Right? There's not gonna be a preaching that night. We're gonna have time of music. We're gonna have three or four songs to sing, and we're gonna have three different times of prayer. And uh, we want to pray for the needs in our church. We want to pray for the needs in our nation. We want to pray for the needs in our world. And uh, that's what we're gonna be doing. And we've made actually little prayer uh, cards that you can fill out. We're actually going to make a bulletin. And whatever prayer request you put on there, uh, uh, on, the, on the paper, you can just drop it in the uh, offering plate or on the way out, give it to one of the ushers. And uh, we're going to put that on a prayer list. And every Wednesday, we're going to be praying for it. And what I want to see is not only our needs, but uh, throughout the year, I, I want to be able to look back on some of these bulletins and say, wow, that prayer got answered, and that prayer got answered, and that got prayer got answered. And... And just remember that we're worshiping a God that answers prayer. He doesn't just hear prayer. He answers prayer. And, and this year we want to put a, a great focus on that on, on Wednesdays. So this Wednesday we're going to be starting that. So I want to encourage you uh, on your way out today. Uh, just pick one up and, and write something that you have on your heart. Uh, if you write a prayer request that you don't want in the bulletin, just mark that as well. Just say, Pastor, I just want you to be praying for it. It's something personal. I can do that as well. Uh, but we want to be aware of the needs that are around us, and that's something we're going to be starting this Wednesday. The other thing is uh, an opportunity to be a blessing to others. 
Uh, I had mentioned this a, a couple months ago, a few months ago, with the Bible students in Venezuela. Uh, there's uh, about 187 Bible students that are studying for full-time ministry, and we want to be a blessing to them. We're, our, our goal is to send them a new outfit, each and every one of them, a new outfit uh, for Easter. Now, I don't know how many of you have that tradition. We have it, Rochelle and I, and our family, that every Easter we go and buy a new outfit for Easter Sunday. And I just think it would be awesome to be able to do that for them because uh, we, we, we serve a resurrected Savior, uh, one that gives us new life, not old life, not used life, new life. And we want to be a blessing with uh, a new outfit for them. And so if you want to be a part of that, uh, we actually have these papers on the back as well. And uh, you're going to pick it up, and it's just a sponsor one. It has the name of the person, the student you're sponsoring, how old they are, the size that they, uh, they have for a shirt, or, or, um, uh, and also their pant size, and also their shoe size. All right? So if you'd like to be a blessing, uh, and I'm asking our church, listen, let's, let's not give them uh, our old shoes. Let's just go buy them some new shoes, okay? Uh, because as I said, Christ didn't give us an old life. He gave us a new life. And we ought to be uh, willing and able and ready to sacrifice and, and be a, a blessing to them. They're never going to know us. Um, we've got some pictures we'll be showing tonight of the gifts, uh, the toys that we sent to the kids down there. Um, and, and, and just to see how happy they are, it's amazing. When you're in a country that's suffering and that has nothing, isn't it awesome to know there's a church 4,000 miles away that cares? And uh, that's what we are to them. And, uh, and so we want to do that for the Bible uh, students that are going to give or already surrendered their life to serve God full time, I think it would, be, it would be good for us to sacrifice whatever it takes to get them a new outfit and, and, and let them know we love them, we care what they're doing, and, uh, and just be an encouragement to them. So if you'd like to be a part of that program also on the way out, uh, you can ask the ushers, have them there in the back table. Just pick one up. Obviously, each one is different. And I would say if you pick one up, please follow through, okay? We want to make sure every student uh, has something. So if you pick one up, you're committing to saying, I'm buying a new outfit for the person. You can, you can sponsor two, three, four, ten. I don't care, as many as you want. Um, but let's just be a blessing. We want to try to get all 187 of them with new outfits, okay, by Easter Sunday. All right, God bless you. Let's go ahead and continue our time of worshiping this morning. Brother Jay. I was like, you still got to preach, man. <laughs> Save some words. Save some words. Praise the Lord. We are going to continue our worship this morning. Uh, we have two beautiful songs that we want to sing together. This next one is one that we've been learning. We're also going to use it as our offertory as we did last week. The offering plates are up here. If you uh, do not give online, which we do have many that give online text giving, but uh, if you checks, cash, or the envelope system that we have here, you're more than welcome during this time to come and be able to give as we worship through giving and as we worship through song this morning. We're going to pray for the offering, and then we will begin our worship time with our songs. God, thank you for this opportunity to give. Thank you for this wonderful service up to this point. Lord, continue to provide. We're thankful for the way you have provided for uh, our church. Lord, we're just thankful for all that you have done here, the blessings that we have here. Lord, we ask that you continue to bless. Bless the remainder of the worship service and the time of giving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.
what a wonderful message. We'll finish our uh, worship time this morning with one more wonderful worship song as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Go ahead and open to Proverbs chapter 29. I hope you enjoyed that time of worship. It's usually one of my favorite times in the service. Uh, We want to do all that we can in a service to worship God, to praise God, and uh, to give to God, and uh, and to hear from God. And so uh, the time of worship is, is such an important time because it not only gives God praise and glory, but it also prepares our heart to hear from His Word. And so uh, as as we prepare to do that, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 29, and um, and not only do we do we get ready to hear from God, but it's just a blessing to to worship Him. I, I don't know what would be better to sing about. There's really nothing nothing that does the same or feels the same. Uh, I'm sure you um, like me tomorrow might sing a nice song to our wife and how much we love them and how much we appreciate them and maybe write that in a card as well and maybe even get flowers and do what we're going to do. But, um, but there's something about just singing to God about His love that 
no romantic song can replace. It just, it's just crazy, but it's just the way it is. And, um, and I always enjoy having a time to, to worship and sing to God. Proverbs chapter 29, then, and verse number 18. Uh, this is a passage that might be pretty familiar for those that grew up in church. And if you haven't grown up in church, it might be something new for you this morning. But this is a verse that's used many times uh, for different occasions and different situations. One that I preached early on in, uh, in my ministry, not really understanding it totally, uh, as, uh, as when I finally studied it a little bit deeper and, and something that has been a help and a blessing to me as I've understood it. It's a really short verse, and, um, and yet it has so much to teach us and to tell us, and, and so hopefully this morning in our, in our short Bible study, we'll be able to uh, grow in our walk and grow in our understanding of what God's Word says. It says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, where there is no vision the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. I'll read it again. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Did you know that the greatest need in America today is vision? It's vision. We don't need bigger schools. We don't need larger bank accounts or more handouts from the government. We don't need better health care, and we don't need peace at all costs. What we need really in America is vision. Now, Proverbs was written by the person that is considered by most to be the wisest man that has ever lived on the earth, King Solomon. And he writes these Proverbs, and these Proverbs are little short sayings that were to teach deep truths in a way that people could remember them. That the people of Israel would understand and know, oh, this is what it means. Now, we kind of do that uh, in our culture as well. Um, we say things like, a penny saved is a penny earned, right? Or we'll say, um, early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? I mean, we have these sayings that... that we teach our kids so that they can kind of understand a deeper truth or something they can apply in their life. And King Solomon did that in, in this Proverbs, what we know as the book of Proverbs. And the reason that they did that was because unlike today, uh, they didn't have printing machines and, and they didn't have all this marketing stuff where everyone had a Bible in their hand or on a laptop or on a phone, right? They didn't have those tools. And so the way that they were going to learn the Word of God in their culture and in their time was they had to memorize it, right? There was one scroll or two scrolls or just a few of them, and they all stayed in the temple. So if you wanted to read the Bible, you were going to go to the temple. If you wanted to learn what the Bible had to say or teach, you're going to go to the temple for that. You couldn't just do a Bible study there in your living room uh, by opening a scroll. You didn't have one, okay? And so most of the scrolls were kept there, and so these Proverbs were meant to help parents, to help teachers, to help just everyone teach what God's Word says in a simple, concise way, but way that, in a way that we could apply into our life, something practical to use. So when you read this, where it says, where there is no vision, the people perish, it was something like, okay, well, what does that mean? Now, I remember the first time I read this, I thought I knew what it meant. I said, oh, vision, vision, vision is like, well, 
I mean, usually it's one of two things. Vision is seeing, right, clearly. If you can, if you can see, sometimes we think, okay, the reason we use glasses, right, they're corrective lenses to help our vision so we can see, right? And so when we hear that word, sometimes we think of that. The, the, the picture is glasses. But here in this passage, he's not talking about being able to see. Another thing that we think about is, oh, no, no, okay, well, but vision also is like um, something that's going to happen. Uh, when, when you see it before it happens, uh, sometimes it, it comes in the, the form of great planning. Uh, and, and one that much of the world thinks about is Walt Disney. Walt Disney was a, a man that we would say had a lot of vision. He, he went to Florida where there was just swamps and grass, bought all this property and developed it, and now there's what we call Disney World. I mean, it's as big as some cities in America. It's huge. And we say, Walt Disney, what a man of vision. He, he started in L.A. with a theme park, but do you know that the theme park, the whole theme park in L.A. fits in the parking lot of Walt Disney World. I mean, his vision went from this to that much bigger, and, and we look at him and we go, man, he's a man of vision. And by that, we just have the understanding he's just someone that saw something that others did not see. But in this verse, vision has nothing to do with that either. In fact, when you look at the word that is here, the word that is translated into English as vision, it really means divine revelation. It means God's communication to man. To put it simply, it's a message from God. So when Solomon writes this and is sharing this with the people, he says, where there is no communication from God, the people perish. So we need to know vision is communication from God. The other key word in this little proverb is perish. Now, normally we think of perish as something dying, something ceasing to exist. And you can use the word perish in that, in that sense. But in this context, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean where there is no communication of God, people die. That's not what this proverb is teaching. In fact, the word perish here literally means to cast off restraint. It means to have anarchy, have no fear of God, no belief in God. So if you read the proverb this way, it might make even better sense. Where there is no communication or message from God, the people go into anarchy. There's chaos. That's why I say America's greatest need is vision. It's the message from God. Now, God doesn't communicate today as he did before through dreams and visions and, and things that way. Um, sometimes if you have a dream at night, it's not necessarily God speaking to you. It might just be the pizza right, that you had late that night. God doesn't always go through that mode and, and really doesn't use that mode of communication anymore because what we learn in the New Testament, like in Romans chapter 10, it says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. The way that God communicates to us in our time and in our day is through his word. We have his complete fulfilled word here in our hands. And that's why we study it. That's why we learn it. That's why we try to understand it because it's the message that God wants us to know, to understand. Because without this message, without understanding God's communication, life goes into anarchy. It goes into 
chaos. It goes into uncontrollable nonsense. And that's why at the end of the proverb it says, And he that keepeth his law, he that understands and obeys the message, happy is he. The secret of joy is found in that. The secret of peace is found in that. In understanding the message of God. So this morning as we study this verse, I want to just look at it in three different aspects. Okay, in three different ways if you would. It's kind of like uh, when, you, when you have a, a diamond and you let light go on the diamond and, and, it, and it, shouts out, uh, it goes out through different ways depending on the, the cut of the diamond. There's, there's a lot of lights that it's going to give you and a lot of angles of that. That's what we want to look at this verse as. And by the way, the Bible says that God's truth is like jewels, like precious stones. And so when you start studying them, there's more ways to cut them and there's more ways to look at them. And so we're going to look at three different ways to look at this proverb that says where there is no vision, where there is no message of God, where there is no communication of God, there's anarchy. And the people go into chaos. Notice, if you will, in the first aspect, in the first lesson that we learn here is a principle from God. And the principle is this. Disobedience is destructive, while obedience is delightful. When you hear this proverb, the kids were supposed to understand disobedience is destructive in your life, but obedience is delightful. Now, this principle of verse 18 does give us the negative and a positive. So let's look at the negative first there, the negative. And the negative is this, disobedience is destructive. Now, have you ever thought what the world would be like without the truth of God's word? You say, well, I mean, it's pretty bad, but has it ever been that bad in a society? There's a book in your Bible. It's the seventh book, the book of Judges. The Bible says in the book of Judges that there came a generation after the generation of Moses that didn't know God. One that didn't care about the message of God. And that society was pure anarchy. And you can read through the Judges, the book of Judges, and you can see how life was. It was dangerous. It wasn't fun. They were in captivity a lot. The society was so bankrupt that sexual immorality was just rampant. Violence was everywhere. No one was safe. No one was secure. It was just a life of fear. A life of always being in bondage, a, a, a life that you're just trying to survive. You're not even enjoying, there's no delight. It's just survival. That's what life is without God. That's what life is without the truth of God's word. It, it, it takes us into something that is wrong. In fact, at the end of the book of Judges, it says, And in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right. In his own eyes. When you get to a point in society where right is determined by a person's just perspective, then there's going to be anarchy. It's going to be chaos. I mean, when you get to a point in society where marriage can be whatever you want it to be, it's just two people that love each other. I mean, that's in my eyes that there's going to be anarchy. When you get to a point where it says, well, worshiping God, I mean, you, whatever's best for you. 
Oh, the way to get to heaven? Well, whatever's right in your eyes. Um, how you treat one another? Well, what do you think is right? Oh, the lifestyle that you live? Well, I don't know if it doesn't bother you. Okay. I believe we see a lot of that in America today. I don't have to give you a hundred different examples of that. I think you can see that in our society. Of the casting off of restraint. And everybody's just doing what they think is right. Everybody's defining everything how they want. And now it's getting to the point as it was in the days of Isaiah, where good is called evil and evil is called good. The fact that someone says, no, no, marriage is between a man and a wife, and that's how God instituted it. Oh, bigot! Where we say, this lifestyle is an abomination to the God of the Bible. Oh, you're wrong. You're hateful. Why? Because it's all in their own eyes. And there's a principle to be taught to our children. There's a principle to be lived out in our life. It must be understood. Listen, disobedience to God's word is destructive for you. It's destructive for us as a society. It's destructive to us as a nation. And by the way, you say, well, where did that start with the devil? He's the first one. He's the first one to act upon disobedience. He was the first anarchist, if you will. Believing that he could be like God, he fell from his stature and made Adam and Eve to sin. He didn't want to be alone in that. And by the way, anytime you're living a destructive life, you never want to be alone. I've noticed that people who are living destructive lives always want others to join them. Right? I'm getting drunk. Why don't you come with me? I'm being unfaithful. You should too. Never want to be alone in that sin. Never wants to be alone. And you know what? The Bible says Satan, after he did that, took a third of the angels with him. I don't want to be alone in this. And then saw that Adam and Eve was the crowning creation of God. And he said, I got to bring them down. Just never happy alone. Disobedience is destructive. That's the negative. The positive is that obedience is delightful. Obedience always has led to a life of joy and no regret. If you look in Matthew chapter 11, it's there in your notes. Verse 28 says, Jesus is talking. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus simply said this. He says, listen, obedience is delightful. If you can follow me, it doesn't make life easy. It just makes it peaceful, joyful. You see, because obedience brings delight. Obedience, by the way, as I say that, is not always, is not always painless. In fact, this morning in the Spanish service, we are learning about Abraham. And the decision that he had to make when God called him out of the land of Ur to go to the promised land, God said, a land that I'll give you. He didn't even tell who, he didn't even tell Abraham where that land was going to be, how long it was going to uh, take to get there. He just said, follow me, let's go. There you're going to find my promises. There you're going to be different and you're going to have a different life. And you know what? Abraham had to leave everything behind. 
aunt and uncle behind, his neighbors behind, his job behind. Listen, to obey God wasn't easy for Abraham. We look back and go, wow. Some commentators think he's probably the wealthiest man during the time that he lived, the wealthiest man in the world. And we say, oh, well, yeah. You know, man, I, I'd leave that if, 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 if that were going to happen. He had no idea that was going to happen. And when he was living in the land of Ur, he wasn't as wealthy as he was after. His purpose wasn't, let me leave the land of Ur so I can be rich. He had no idea what God was going to do. He simply had learned this. Obedience to God is delightful. It's worth leaving everything else. When Solomon says... Where there's no vision, there's anarchy. He says, but he that followeth the law, happy is he. He's saying, there's a negative side to this principle. There's a positive side. Disobedience is destructive. Obedience is delightful. But I want you to notice, secondly, a picture in this. Not only a principle in this verse, but a picture. And this is a second aspect to consider. Notice the picture of the destruction. A falling from God's protection and blessing. You know that with the teaching and preaching of God's word comes God's blessings. It comes upon those that hear it and obey it. Yet, when we decide to neglect the truth of God and the teaching of God, there are consequences and they're major. Listen, I don't believe it's coincidental that Anarchy has come into much of our public school system when they took prayer out. When they try to take God out. I mean, we're still fighting battles of, can we just have the Ten Commandments up? Like now it's controversial to teach our children, lying is not good. It doesn't lead to a happy life. Well, somehow, thou shalt not lie, that's controversial. Thou shalt not kill. You know, I, I wonder if they would have just kept some of those things in those schools. I wonder if we'd still have the same mass shootings that there is in schools. I wonder if we just start teaching our kids like, hey, um, you know, taking someone else's life just because you don't like them and out of hate is wrong. I wonder if that might deter one from just going and getting a gun and doing that. But no. They decided schools are out. No more God in there. And look at the destruction. So what are some of those destructions that have happened since then? And I don't know how up to date uh, these statistics are. These were at this time, I believe, like five years ago or so. But notice what it is. Criminal arrest of teens went up 150% when prayer was taken out. Teen suicides in ages 15 to 19 years went up 450%. And by the way, that's not counting pandemic numbers. That's probably gone up even more. Illegal drug activity is up 6,000% according to the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Child abuse cases went up 2,300% according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Divorce went up 350% according to the U.S. Department of Commerce. And SAT scores fell 10% even though the SAT questions have been revamped to be easier to answer. Violent crimes have risen 350%. Uh, 
National morality figures have plummeted and teen pregnancy has escalated dramatically since prayer and the Bible have been taken up. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that where there is no vision, the people perish. When the message of God and the the teaching of God's word is out, it's destructive to any society. It's been destructive to our nation. I wish I could say, well, it's only our nation that suffers. But you know, when we do the same thing in our families, our families suffer. Man, I, I, I can't do much about the public school system, but I can do something about what's happening in my family. How are we doing in our families? I wonder, is the message of God being communicated and followed and obeyed? Because without it, it's destructive. So you see the picture of destruction, but we also see the picture of delight. It's a joy that's indescribable. I put this passage there in your notes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height. To know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul said, I have found this about obedience to God. I found this about faithfulness that my mind can't even That's what that phrase means. It means you can't really put it into words. You can't really describe it exactly. You can't really paint a picture of it. It's just that indescribable. The delight of obedience. Man, there's something about living an honest life that allows you to not be so burdened and heavy. There's something about being faithful to your husband or to your wife that makes the marriage that much happier. And there's something about just treating people honestly that makes relationships greater, having more joy and trust in them. It's just that living the truth of God's word, it really is delightful. It's not painless. Paul said anyone that lives godly is going to suffer persecution. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have people that mock you. You're going to have people that hate you. You're going to have Facebook posts that uh, try to challenge you and uh, criticize you and undermine you. You're going to have that. But let me just say, living in the integrity of the truth of God's word, it's delightful, even with all of that. Even with all of that. Because happy is he that doeth that law, that knows it and obeys it. Because obedience, it's delightful. And the picture of that delight, man, until you live it, you don't know it. I can give you examples, I can give you illustrations, but until you live it, you just don't know it. Kind of like that old Super Bowl commercial with Lay's, right? Bet you can't just have one. Because that's how it is when you, when, you, when you just get into God, the delightfulness of serving God and obeying God and following God, you just you can't stop. <laughs> the devil will try to get you to stop, absolutely. Oh, but man, the joy that's in that. The picture of delight. Then I want you to notice, as we finish this morning, that there's a practice in this verse as well. 
There's a principle, there's a picture, and there's a, pra a practice. And that is a practical application of this truth in our everyday lives. I want you to notice, first of all, the neglect of this practice. And the neglect of this practice is huge sometimes. Because we see in God's word that he says, I, I want to meet with you. I want, I want a relationship with you. I want to, I want to, I've saved you for a purpose. I've made you different. And, and, and I want to teach you some things. And I, I, and I want you to see how much I love you. And I, and I want to grow with you. And I want you to, to understand me and know me. Uh, he, he said in the book of Jeremiah, uh, let the man that wants to glory, glory in this, that he knoweth me. God says, man, I, I just, it, it's, it's, it's like when you're dating and you just want to you, you know everything about that person, right? Remember when I was dating, listen, there was no short conversations. And I didn't want short conversations. I wanted Rochelle talking with me as much as possible. And you know what? After two dates, I wanted a third. And after three dates, I wanted a fourth. I didn't say, oh, wow. Well, I know a lot about you now. <laughs> no, I'm done. No, no, that, 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 it was just so joyful that, I hope I'm getting this right, 13 years later, 14 years. You know what I should just say? Since 2008, it's just been awesome because <laughs> my math is kind of crazy. It's just been awesome. It's been a delight. But you know, when you start neglecting that, if I start neglecting, talking with her, spending time with her, getting to know her, listening to her concerns. If I just stop and start neglecting, our marriage suffers. Our family suffers. The practice in this verse is saying, listen, don't neglect having God's message in your life. Don't neglect that. But sadly, I have to be honest, when you look statistically, it seemed like God's church has. Let me give you a few of those statistics. Only 19% of churchgoers personally, not as part of the church worship service, read the Bible every day. 19%. That is one out of every five people. Statistically. My prayer is that our church is the rarity. But if we go by statistics... One in every five of us in here read our Bible every day. 20% of us. That's neglect. A recent Lifeway research study found that only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. Over 40% of the people attending read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. This is regular churchgoers that I'm giving you the statistics of. And there's another one out of five churchgoers that say they never read the Bible. That's neglect. Even with a broader definition of church attendance, classifying a regular attendee as someone that comes three out of eight Sundays, all right, that's not even 50%, just three out of eight Sundays would make you and qualify you as a regular attendee in this study they found that only 23 to 25% of Americans fit that. Only 23 to 25% of Americans come at least three out of eight Sundays, in other words. Olson notes, 
who was one of the ones directing the study, that an additional million church attendees would increase the percentage from 17.7% to only 18%. In other words, you'd have to find 80 million more people that churches forgot to count to get to 40% of people that claim to believe God and follow God coming more than three out of eight Sundays. But we love Fox News. What's going on with our country? What is this President Biden doing? He's a nutcase. He may not even know his age. What is, what's going on? And I'm not saying those criticisms are all terrible and wrong and you can't disagree with his policies. And there's much from our president and this government that I disagree with. But let me just say something. That's not the problem with our nation. Just four years ago, we got a guy that had all the policies we wanted. And what changed? You see, the hope of America is not in the White House. And it's not in the Republican Party, though I like that party. I vote a lot with that party. It's not in the Democrat Party with their care that they want to do with all these programs. The hope of America is found in the word and truth of God. The reason America is where it's at is because you can have studies and find that only one out of five that say they believe in God even read their Bible once a day. The problem with America today is that you can't even find 40% of them that will come three out of eight Sundays. That's the problem. You see, when there's a neglect of the practice of where there's no vision, then you find that the people will perish. The way to go from anarchy to some kind of order is through the word of God, through the teaching of God, through the living of the truth of God. America is made up of families. Reagan used to say it all the time. President Lincoln, when he was president, used to say, it's we the people. We make up America. By the way, we make up the church as well. Solomon told his son, son, you're going to be king after me. His name was Rehoboam. He said, listen, let me tell you something, son, where there's no vision. You get away from God, you get away from the message of God, the truth of God, the teachings of God, and this kingdom's going to go down. And by the way, it did. You neglect the practice of this, and there are consequences. Oh, but I love the way the proverb ends. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. All the application, the application is great. When you begin to obey the truth of God's word, you know what you can have? New life. And when you've received that new life, you know what you ought to do with it? Share it. You know, it, it, it's crazy, uh, but I, I've gone to stores, right, without asking anyone anything or talking to anybody, but whatever's on their heart and mind, they'll come and talk to me about. You ever notice that? You're paying for something and, hey, how about the game tonight? Oh, yeah, go Cowboys. They'll talk about it because it's on their heart and on their mind. Or if something happened with coffee and they'll talk about coffee. Oh, you like this coffee? Oh, great, yeah. 
you know, for the introvert, that's like their nightmare. Like, cashier, just pay, just, just let me pay, and let me get out. But there's somebody, they just, whatever's on their mind, or they just, they just want to share it. You know, when you're living a life that is applying this truth, you share it. You don't have to have a campaign at church. Let's go. Let's reach other people. Listen, you're just going to reach them because you want to reach them. Because it's on your mind. It's on your heart. You're just going to text the guy at work that's having surgery just because, hey, I love him. I hope he knows that he's important. I hope he knows that he can have new life. The application of this brings spiritual growth. It brings a love for the truth of God and for God's word. It brings a faith to believe what God has promised. The application of this. The application of this truth brings unity and love so that you can encourage others. There in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. There was unity. There was love. It wasn't all about them, themselves, individuals. And we struggle with that, and I'm, I'm glad for the freedoms that we have here in our Western world and in America. We've been a beacon of light and of hope for literally the whole world. But sometimes we can take our individualism to a certain extent and to a, a level that even God said, that's not what I mean. Sometimes that can be very destructive even for a church. That's why God says, I want you to encourage one another. Love one another by applying this, and then there's joy and happiness. And you build relationships with others and with God, just daily. By the time you get to the end of Acts, chapter 2 there, in verse 44, it says, And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need, and they continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What happened? They just began to apply it. They understood, hey, well, there's no vision. This ain't going to go anywhere. Oh, but happy is he that doeth it, that keepeth the law. Oh, man, they, they found love and happiness and joy and unity and purpose and the promises of God. They found it all by applying the truth. What does America need? Vision. What does my family need? Vision. What does my life need? Vision. Vision. Remember the principle. Disobedience. Destructive obedience, delightful. Remember the picture, the picture of what destruction looks like and what the picture of delight looks like. And remember the neglect of this practice in your life, what it leads to. And just remember the blessings and the joy of the application of this practice. Solomon said, where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Let me ask you this morning, are you living this truth? Is this proverb something that's real in your life? 
remember reading the story of Adoniram Judson, a young man in the 1800s that was very academic and had a lot of promise in what he could do. When he finished Bible college, he had a nice church waiting for him there in Boston, Massachusetts. Good salary. He had good prospects of what that church was going to be able to give him and do for him. There was Judson. Had all that in front of him. But then he started seeing what was happening in India. He was seeing the anarchy and the chaos over there and the fact that they had nobody that was teaching them the truth of God. And Adoniram Judson said, I I can't stay in Boston. And his mom and his sister pleaded with him and said, what are you doing, Adoniram? You can't go. You can't leave. Look at this job. You're going to have it made. You're going to be able to go just fine. And and Adoniram said, no. There's people in need over there. Married a young lady named Anna, and him and Anna set sail and left America. Had some difficulties getting into India. There was the War of 1812 that was going on, and at one point while he was there in India, he was imprisoned for 24 months, two years. They accused him of being a spy for the British, and there he was, just trying to be a light, just trying to do what God had called him to do, just trying to apply the truth of this passage, and there he is in prison. When they let him go, Anna was there. She had taken care of him the whole two years, taking him food and making sure he was okay in that prison. Shortly after getting out of that prison, Anna died. There's Adoniram. What do I do? That vision, God's word on his heart, the message and the need and seeing the chaos around him. I got to do something. And he went to Burma. Found another young lady named Sarah. They got married in 1834. Had eight kids. Started translating the Bible into Burmese and reaching the people of Burma. In 1845, at the birth of his eighth child, Sarah didn't survive. Lost his second wife. What are you going to do? You going to neglect now? You going to give up, Adoniram? God brought another young lady in his life. Got married for the third time. Began to translate the Bible into Burmese. At one point, as a result of his ministry, 500,000 Burmese came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Their life went from chaos and anarchy to joy and peace because someone said, well, there's no vision, the people perish. Someone says, somebody's got to go and give them and teach them that happy is he that keepeth the law. This morning, it's a simple proverb. It's not hard to memorize. You've probably memorized it in the 8,000 times I've said it in this message. There's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So much to teach us. A principle gives us a picture and something to practice in our life. The decision is, what are we going to do with that? I want to challenge you and encourage you Make this a part of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And 
Thank you for your truth. Father, such a simple, simple thing. Just a few words on a piece of paper, but oh, the truth, the eternal truth of what those words mean is the difference between destruction and delight. Between joy and sorrow. Between blessing and cursing. And so, Father, as we meditate upon what we've heard from your word this morning, oh, I pray that we would be able to understand its truth. But, Father, oh, I pray that you would just help us to live it out. Help it to be a principle in our life that we understand and meditate upon but also a practice that we live every day. And help us to see and be the picture of that property. Oh, Father, I pray for us as a church and us as followers today that we apply the truth of your word this week. Help us not go two, three days and never have a time to read and meditate on your word or a time to pray and hear your voice. Oh, I pray that we would always live out this truth. Be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name.